Hello, here's another edition of Rycast, and in a first, it's actually two editions about the same person. I'm James Stewart, and I've been talking to Diana Patton, who's just the best company. She's in her 80s, lives on the beach near Rye, and has been telling me about her passion for flying. She's still flying now, and only last week she was high up above our town, and earlier this year she flew in a Spitfire above Rye and along the coast. And actually, when you think about Spitfires on a beautiful summer's day, when the roar of the Merlin engine alerts you to a Spitfire flying over Rye, it's just fantastic, isn't it? Well, we'll be talking about flying this week, but in the next episode, there's so much more to talk about. There's a fascinating family, holidays in pre-war Germany, school with Joan Collins, and loads, loads more. But this episode, about flying and some of the journeys that she's made. I've been to meet her at her house, the house she shares with her husband, Robin, who's also played a major part in our town too. He used to be the leader of Rother District Council, and he's the chap who opened our swimming pool. And as you'll hear, her dog also got in on the interview. Diana, it's lovely to see you've got so much to talk about. But let's go back to the beginning. Tell us about the first time you went up in a plane. Oh, that was with Daddy when I was very small. It was very exciting and I had to wear these white overalls. But Daddy was very good. He didn't do any silly manoeuvres or anything and... Uh, and we got down and he said, did you like it, darling? And I said, oh, Daddy, it was just fantastic. That, I suppose, was the first time I enjoyed an aeroplane. But he actually didn't teach me to fly because he was in a, an aeroplane which he was test flying and I couldn't do that. But I didn't really start flying properly, really, until I was working in Canada and uh, I was earning quite good money and worked hard. And um, I decided that I would like to fly and so I went to the Ireland airport, which was lovely off Toronto. I flew a 150 Cessna. Lovely flying, because you flew over the lake, Ontario, and round, and then landed, and there was so much to see, and the yachts were beautiful. So I persevered, got my Canadian licence. Then I decided to come back to England, and came back. I then decided I'd buy the Oster, which is a lovely aeroplane. You couldn't start it, you had to swing the prop. That meant you had to, as you really swing it down. You weren't supposed to swing it on your own because it was dangerous. But I did it a couple of times. I had chocks under the wheel prop. I did everything really to the book. That was the lovely aeroplane. We went all over Europe in that and everywhere. Then when the children got bigger, I bought a thing called a Dauphin. It was a French aeroplane. Lovely aeroplane. You've got it on the step. It means that you get the tail up and you get another about eight miles an hour quicker if you do that. And so it was just a lovely aeroplane to fly and you could get it into quite small strips. And the officer, of course, I used to get into little fields and things. Wonderful aeroplane. They both were. Quite unusual for a woman to be a pilot, isn't it? Back in the day? Not really, no. I mean, there were obviously the Aimhart and all that lot. They were the pioneers of flying. I think just for a woman to get a pilot's licence was difficult. There were quite a lot of us, really. My Aunt Paddy flew. She had her own aeroplane. She sounds an incredible person. Yes, she was. She flew around with McDonald's and it was quite funny, really, because she wasn't very good at navigating. And so she 
decided that if she got a bit lost, she'd fly down over railway stations and uh, read the signs. Ramsay MacDonald, through this microphone thing, said, why are we flying so low, Miss Naismith? And uh, she said, well, sir, I'm so sorry, but the weather ahead is inclement, so I've decided to fly lower. And he took it all in, and it was clear viz and everything, but that was typical Paddy. It's incredible to think about the way we use planes now. You can fly to Africa in one big hop. Back in the day, you had to stop and stop and stop and stop and stop along the way. You're absolutely right. You do. And, of course, with a small plane, you used to fly a lot in France, in both the Austria and the Dauphin. We had to stop for fuel. But the Tripacer and Africa was a different story altogether, really. Interesting. You know, we started off from Headcorn. It was mandatory to take water and supplies because we were crossing the desert. And so the whole back of the aeroplane was four litre of water and also of army biscuits. You can apparently live on army biscuits and water. So we took those. Amazing what we did, really. We took jerry cans of fuel, aviation fuel, which, of course, was ridiculous in those days. We didn't think. So that was in the back, so there was absolutely no room. We landed in the desert to refuel... And it was quite amazing because all the little people in the desert, the children and things, came from nowhere and, and surrounded us. And, of course, we Russians, we didn't have any sweets or anything because of the weight. And they all looked so sad when we couldn't give them anything. So I gave them all a hug. And then we set off again and uh, we landed twice in the desert for refueling. We flew down Kitchener's Railway, which was very interesting, and then we flew down the Nile. We got permission to fly down the Nile, and the scenery was unbelievable. The Nile Belt, you don't realise when you see it from the ground, but when you fly over it, it's just almost as though somebody had carved it out. It was just unreal. All the little houses and all the irrigation was the Nile and then green and then desert. Beautiful, really. We saw a bit of Khartoum, which was very interesting. I can't think why, but somebody invited me to the palace for tea, marble everywhere and goodness me it was unreal and of course I got nothing really very special to wear and I tried to tart up what I got but it probably wasn't good enough but they were very kind to me. Because there was one time you were shot at wasn't there? That wasn't in, in the, my airplanes that was when, when I went to uh, Egypt coming back before Corsica ships there and I said to Patrick I think we're going to be in trouble and he said, I don't think they'll do anything about us. Sure enough, they did. And I said, well, I think what we'll do... And by the time I'd said it all, I got the stick, put it into a very sharp dive, and then we kept on diving, and when they fired, they never hit us. So one doesn't think about things like that, really. You act on the spur of the moment, don't you? In an emergency or anything like that, you've just got to keep calm and just think, but do it without thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to crash. You don't think about that. Do you think about it afterwards? Do you think, oh, crikey, I can't believe we escaped. I well, don't believe we did that. I suppose you do, telling the stories about it. One just makes people laugh, really, because it wasn't funny, but it was, really, because we weren't hit. What's the appeal of flying? What do you like about it? I suppose um, having one's own aeroplane was... I probably didn't realise how lucky I was because now, you know, to own an aeroplane, you've got to be terribly well off, and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, to fly now is so expensive. Having the two aeroplanes, 
I sort of got into them and just didn't think too much about it, really. And Jamie Elizabeth loved it. And Jamie, I taught to fly in the Oster. What was that like, teaching your children to fly? Jamie was, and still is, very keen on flying and very knowledgeable. You only got to tell him once and that's it. I put him on cushions and so on and rearranged the cockpit a bit so that he could touch the rudder pedals. And, of course, it was dual control, both of them were. He was very good. I don't think I let him land and take off for quite a long time. And he wasn't afraid of anything. He would have gone over a rate four turn, but I said he can't possibly do that. I took the stick over. You must be really proud he's inherited your love of flying. Well, he's a fantastic pilot. I mean, I wasn't a really good pilot, but Jamie is just... uh, He had a Cherokee Warrior, which was a lovely six-cylinder aeroplane. He flew a lot in that, or does fly. He flies a lot now. And his navigation was... You see, nowadays the aeroplanes have much more navigational equipment. I didn't have very much at all. So how did you navigate? With a map. And we had one of VOR, which means if you could get a signal, use the VOR. But when you were in Africa, you didn't get a signal at all. It really was flying by an M. And it was all measured. And you know, luckily, I, I quite enjoyed that working out the air speed and the drift and the wind and everything, which, you know, so one did that over the desert. And you had to keep a really good course, otherwise you would have been in a lot of trouble. Is it dangerous flying? No. Well, it can be very dangerous if you don't adhere to what you're supposed to do. Neville Browning, who was a wonderful aerobatic pilot, he said there's old pilots but never an old and bold pilot that's right yes so you you just i i probably did more hours before i got my license than most people because i just didn't want to do it not be absolutely safe because i've got two children and you know it would have been well really stupid hello scoffee oh it is interrupted by the jack russell hello who's this scoffee He's a good girl. He's so good. We're all so lucky. You've always had Jack Russells? Yes. Well, I I had a a cairn when I was um, little. I had a spaniel. And then my parents, uh, my stepfather, had two shooting dogs, a Labrador and a spaniel. But we've always had dogs. I've got a Jack Russell too, which is why I think Scruffy is particularly keen to... (laughs) Oh, it's lovely. Cheers. Right, you behave. Yeah. <laughs> well, she just wants tummy rubbed. Uh, and you've been flying recently. The Spitfire. You flew the Spitfire over this place. Yes, yes. Tell me about that. Well, it was absolutely lovely. Aero Legend are doing it from Headcorn. You wear a suit and various bits and pieces, proper boots and things because of the fire and all that. And the pre briefing, I enjoyed. I wish I'd had longer of that because I'm interested in instruments. But you see, when people fly it as a, an experience thing, they're not really interested in aeroplanes, they're interested in having it the experience, as they call it. Mm-hmm. But I was more interested in the flying. <laughs> and so that was, I suppose that was one thing I wanted to fly, and I did. What was it like flying the Spitfire? It was absolutely fantastic, but I made the mistake of 
not saying to Charlie, I would fly it to the coast and he would fly it along here and do some aerobatics, low aerobatics. And of course, old Muggins didn't say that to him. And I kept flying it. And I did two circuits around here, but too high. And I was cross about that because he should have done that and then done some aerobatics. But if I could ever afford it again, this cost a lot of money, I'd do it again. And I would say to Charlie, look, I will fly it, of course I will. I'll fly it from there, from headquarters here, and you take it over. And then I want you to do as many aerobatics as you can over the sea. But you see, I'd, oh, so stupid of me, wasn't it? There is something very special about a Spitfire, isn't there? Yes, it, it's it's iconic. And, of course, the Merlin engines are amazing. The roar is incredible, isn't it? it the it, noise. You're absolutely right, James. It, it is. It's um, a sound which you would never forget, really. It is just fantastic. It really is. And taking off is... The warm-up is lovely because you hear the, the roar then when you're doing your pre-flight checks and things. And taking off was just fantastic. It's lovely to land, really. I, I followed through, I didn't actually land it. But I think it's about 80, 70, 80. So it's, it's obviously faster than my airplane, proper airplane. It's lovely. And I think the other airplane I have flown is a Jet Provost. Of course, that's a different ballgame altogether. Mm. Jet, my God. I mean, that is really something. And... The pre-flight checks on that is interesting. You're half an hour on the ground pre-flight and then you get in the aeroplane with parachutes and you have, goodness knows what else, um, safety things and and so on. You get into the aeroplane and the person, well, I went with a friend actually, it was lovely, it took him half an hour to explain everything in the jet. Very interesting. He let me fly it a little bit, but a jet is totally different feeling the roar is sort of like a Spitfire, but not totally, obviously. And, of course, being so fast, I think it took us almost a mile to get off. We cruised, I think, about 425 miles an hour. Wow. Yes, and so we wanted to go fly out to sea. So we, we, we just flew on the RT over to the edge of France and flew around there so quick and then came back and we buzzed a beautiful schooner, rigged as a schooner, a yacht. That was fun. They all waved and everything. We were over and gone. People tried to take a picture, but it was so fast. I think some of them got some. And uh, yeah, that was just another experience, I suppose. When you see planes up in the sky, do you wish you were up there with them? Oh, sometimes I do. I, I think, oh, gosh, it's a, it's a lovely day, you know, we could go here, there and everywhere. And I went up in, in the 150 the other day and came over here with a friend. I said, I want to go really low and take photographs around here. And he said, no, you can't, Anna, because you've got to stay at 2,000. And I said, oh, come on, don't be so wet. I'll go lower. No, you can't. I said, well, you go lower then. And he said, no, I can't. So anyway, I got the pictures, but they were too far away. But I took it on this iPad thing, which can't work properly, and they're actually quite good. And next time I go up, I'm going to take pictures of all the coasts along here. It's so interesting to see them from the air, and you pick out little things. And So you're still flying then? Yes. My licence has lapsed because um, I don't think I... Oh, I think I might pass the medical, I don't know. It, it costs too much. 
So now what I do is I go up to Hickhorn. I go up with one of the pilots from there. They're very nice to me. I just say, now, look, I'm going to fly it, but I can't blog it or anything. Do you think they underestimate you? Because you're a lady of a certain age, they're simply <laughs> young pilots, but they don't know your experience, they don't know your background, well, your amazing skill. They probably do know my background because I started headquarters, so they ought to know that I've got quite a few hours. Some of them don't know. That amuses me because I my sense of humour. And sometimes if I fly away, like when I flew in Australia, I flew a glider, I didn't say that I was a pilot. We went through everything. I nearly sort of let it out that I was by some remark, but I thought, no, darling, stop it. When we got up, we had a, a winch take off. The flying instructor said, would you like to see what it feels like down And I said, oh, thank you so much. And he said, it's yours, which is the expression Yvonne uses. And I said, oh, thank you. I thought, no, shall I say what do I do or shall I just fly it? I thought, I don't know quite what to say, but I thought, no, don't say anything. And he said, you've got it. And I said, oh, it's fine. And I took it and I flew it. I said, it's all yours. Handed it back to him. He said, oh. And I said, well, what did I do wrong? He said, nothing at all. He said, you didn't tell me you could fly. <laughs> and I said, well, there wasn't really any point. He said, oh, that was a bit mean. I said, well, it's all right, don't worry. And he said, well, do you want to land it then? I said, oh, yes, please. <laughs> so he let me land it. My cousin, who is a doctor in, in Australia, he said, were you flying it, die? And I said, well, yes, part of the time I was. He said, I thought you were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, he was... Well, it was wonderful. Do you ever think of yourself as a pioneer? No. What? No, no way. No. Now I'm just a silly old woman. No. no you're far from that. But seriously, oh, all the things you've done, you could have just stayed at home, couldn't you? No. No, I couldn't. <laughs> it came into place, really, because I was very lucky. I worked hard. I think that's the key. If you work hard, you play hard. And I did work. In Canada, I had two jobs for, for a bit. Then I was found out, so I had to stop the other one. And I always said, I'll do nights, I'll do anything to get the money, because I like cars. And there's more from Diana in the next edition of Rycast, with stories about the fast cars in her life. We'll hear more about Alan Paddy and her work with the Guinea Pig Club, which helps servicemen who've been badly injured and their stories about holidaying in pre-war Germany, and a very famous school friend. When she was at school, she wasn't so glamorous as she is even now, and she's amazing. I shouldn't say this really, but her hair was always... I can't think about my hair, it's awful. But her hair was really sort of lank, and I don't think she washed it very often. <laughs> More about Diana next time on Rycast. I'll put a link to the Rye News article that's all about Diana, at rycast.org. Many thanks to Heidi Foster for helping out with this podcast. Until next time, with more from Diana Patton, goodbye. Goodbye.